Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, we're uh, we're spicing up season two of Deep Space Nine like like a <laughs> spouse that's come home with a sex swing. Yeah, we've introduced the idea of a board game to our podcast and gamification a- is really the future, Adam. It's it's one of the ways we're disrupting our own show, right? <laughs> yeah, we've pivoted to board game. You want to disrupt the dominant podcast paradigm. And uh, and here we are by landing on the Coco Nono square, right? Yeah. Like if you're a McElroy, you make a, an amazing uh, Dungeons and Dragons podcast that has millions of listeners. If you're Ben and Adam, you make a crappy board game in google docs and uh <laughs> force yourself to drink to excess that's us <laughs> you ever feel like we're getting in our own way <laughs> uh, no uh why don't before we start the show in case anyone would like to participate with us in this, uh, maybe we could talk about what we're drinking for today's pod. So uh, we decided, since Coco No No is not a, a real drink, we just decided to go with a, a classic coconut-based cocktail. And uh, what we're drinking today is a painkiller, which is uh, two ounces of Pusser's rum. Uh, I think neither of us is using that. We're substituting either Demerara or spiced rum, uh, right. but a brown rum, you know, uh, not 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 white rum. Uh, and then uh, four ounces pineapple juice, ounce of orange juice, ounce of cream of coconut, and uh, you throw all that in a blender with some ice and uh, blend it up, baby. And then we put them in these. Uh, in these beautiful coconuts that our friend Ann Kilzer sent us. Yeah, I uh, I did a little bit of a variation on that painkiller. I love a painkiller. I think you and I have had many of them together, even. But you mentioned that that cream of coconut is really sweet, and you're not wrong about that. So yeah. I actually substituted uh, coconut milk entirely for that cream of coconut. Oh, it wow. really knocked down the sweetness that I thought I was going to get. And I also whipped it in a blender, Yeah, because that's fun. I, so what uh, I've got on my desk is like I've got one half of Ann Kilser's coconut bra holding part <laughs> of my drink, and then uh, and then much like when you get a milkshake at a diner, you get like the metal tin. The back. sidecar, yeah. I've got the sidecar of of more than half of of what I made in the in the blender. So yeah. I've got a lot to go through. I pre-mixed four of these, and uh, so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to run and, and get an extra. When uh, you're, when the you're time saying, comes, you're saying I'm going to be doing the credits to the show later. <laughs> <laughs> ben in absentia. Yeah, RSVP. Yeah, in in not in absentia, in memoriam. Right. <laughs> That's too bad. I'll uh, I'll carry the flag for you, Ben. Thanks, dog. Um, it's a great drink. I did um a similar thing. Uh, 
I did a an unsweetened coconut cream, and I I added a little simple syrup to it myself to uh, to make it a very lightly sweet uh, coconut addition, but not the like like sweetened crema de coco. Like your coco Lopez is way sweeter than sim- like than sugar syrup. Even it's crazy it's really like mario lopez it's like it's like just too sweet (laughs) you want to level that thing out a little bit i think that's really smart uh like uh that's coming from a guy who's who has reps on a real live cocktail podcast like that's that's an experienced move right there it's a lot like uh like if you oversalt food you can't take it out later like if you oversweet a cocktail you're really kind of stuck unless you want to dilute it out right or being or Be add careful. lots and lots of uh, uh, the other ingredients, you know, add more booze and more everything else. So yeah. anyways, uh, if uh, if you're going to go on a date with Christy Henshaw on the holodeck, <laughs> you could do a lot worse than this painkiller recipe. Yeah, it's the truth. It's really good. Good call on the painkiller, man. But no weird, like, Russian violinist, right? That's not a good move. Christy's no. not going not gonna to enjoy that. No, like, uh, know your audience. <laughs> Read the room, say. Jordy. Yeah. What the fuck? I'm on Memory Alpha. Uh-huh. <laughs> it says, a cocoa no-no is typically coconut milk and gin served in a hollow half of a coconut shell. That sounds terrible. Uh, do you have those ingredients? I. Yeah, I guess I do. What's the proportion? It does not say here. Um I'm going to go up and make uh, an ounce of gin, ounce of coconut milk, and I'm going to come back. You want to do the same? <laughs> God damn Let's it. taste test this shit. All right. <laughs> I, I feel like... Uh, oh, no. It's, it's becoming a little bit more clear why this, why this date did not go super well. <laughs> <laughs> this is a drink that looks as bad as it tastes also like like yeah. mixing it in the glass was a real like what would happen if you poured glue into water situation this has the the consistency and appearance of like ostrich cum <laughs> it's a it's a cocoa oh no and uh flavor wise not far off from ostrich cum either it it has a really weird smell like it does not smell like gin or coconut milk. Right, it's like it's like when you uh eat a bunch of asparagus and then you pee. It doesn't smell like pee or asparagus. It smells like something else. You know, I tried it again and I feel like I've had cocktails this bad before. <laughs> yeah. I but I've probably blocked them. Like, they're probably the cocktails you make for yourself in college when you don't know how to make cocktails. Like, what are the things that I can get from 7-Eleven? Right. And everything is a half and half. Like, I went through years that way. Like, it's always half liquor, half mixer, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not always. New. No. <laughs> the saddest thing about this drink, Adam, is that I'm probably going to finish it. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm not... I, I don't know if you have this. I have like this really like almost pathological aversion to waste where like if I cook myself a big meal and it's bad, like I 
this happened to me the other night. I cooked myself, uh, like my wife was, uh, was out having, having dinner with her folks for the evening. How you managed to wiggle out of that dinner is a story for another time, I guess. <laughs> so I, I went and bought a, a fancy pork chop and I cooked it for myself. And as I, I was eating from like one side toward the other, you know, uh-huh. and as I got closer and closer to the bone, the more I suspected that this meat had gone bad. Oh, no. And it was like so, like I took so many more bites than I should have at that point. Like I was like, I, you know, I feel like this part's probably okay, but like a little bit further, maybe not so much. Uh, whatever, I'll try it. You know, like. Ben, so, meat isn't like cheese. You can't just cut around it. <laughs> I, I live in a world where you can. And I also <laughs> spent like $17 on this piece of meat. And I didn't want it to go to waste. Oh. And uh, did you get the grumblies after? Uh, I have a very ironclad tum-tum, and I, uh, I did not suffer any consequences. This is the one of the ways that, that you are yin and I am yang. <laughs> like, uh, digestively. We are not simpatico. Like, I wish we were roommates th- so that we could uh, we could time our periods. Like, <laughs> I want my I want my tome to be more like yours, mm-hmm. Ben. Uh, I wow. think what we would have to do is sleep in the same bed so that our colon flora would uh, would cross pollinate. <laughs> I really I really like how we tour and that we never talked about it, but we have always gotten separate hotel rooms. And and now, like, that's what we do. We was, have not and will not discuss it. I was telling my wife about how we tour and how, like, we barely talk to each other most days when yeah. we're not on stage. <laughs> she, <laughs> she thinks that we are so weird. <laughs> I, like, you, you talk about your own pathology. Like, I, I pathologically do not want to kill this goose that we've created on accident <laughs> to the degree that, like, I won't even give it affection <laughs> out, of the, out of the danger of, like, lennying it to death like a, like a fucking rabbit. <laughs> yeah, you don't know your own strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is why yeah. you're such a terrible father. I think uh, the disillusion of most of my friendships can can probably be <laughs> tracked back to back to that feeling. There's something profoundly wrong with me, Ben. Well, Adam, we've got ourselves a very silly premise for the episode today, which is that we are going to drink a bunch of cocoa no nos. We wound up uh, randomly selecting this for a pretty serious episode. Do you want to get into it? Yeah, I think we should. Uh, let's go ahead and get into season two, episode five, Kardashians. <laughs> Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. I feel like uh, we take Kevin everywhere with us mm-hmm. when there's a when there's a sibilance in the title. Yeah, we're obligated at this point. Right. So. Uh, we're retconning a little bit here that that over the like intervening 20 episodes or whatever Garrick and Bashir have developed a regular breakfast hang type relationship. Really, doctor. Must we always play this game? I could have used this as a cold open for all 20 episodes. Yeah. How great would that be? That'd be fun. It's something I kind of covet too. Like I go to I go get a 
a coffee at a place near my house most days. If I had like if I had like some folks there that I could, you know, predict seeing and and having a hang with, I feel like I'd like that. I think all I've ever wanted to be is a regular at a place. Yeah. But it's in such contrast to the other feeling I have, which is like I want to be left alone most of the time. Yeah. Right. Like I I want to be greeted like Norm from Cheers, but then I just want to be alone. Yeah. Don't you see that I have these headphones in? <laughs> um This scene is a real feast for the eyes, Ben. Did you see the background actors behind uh, Bashir? Yeah, I did with the uh with the crazy computer heads. I was trying to figure out what their deal was because on the one hand they look like they're wearing manhole covers as as headwear. I feel like they are Wisconsin sports fans, but uh, but from the future, you know, and it's and it's techno cheese that they're one wearing. of them had straps, and I was wondering if that was their luggage and like and culturally that was just how they carried it. Oh, did you yeah. think it was loaf? No, I think it's a hat. Yeah, it's got to be a hat. You got a computer hat. Um, I don't want to be heteronormative about <laughs> what I'm seeing back there. But You're it's pretty idiot. it's pretty silly, Ben. Yeah. It's super silly and it's so silly they don't have, even have the 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 confidence to put them in the foreground and in sharp focus like right. they're always in the deep background. Um Bashir has gotten in this retroactive situation where he and Garrick are always good time buddies. Uh Bashir's confidence level has really come a long way. Like he is really trading jabs with Garrick and is not is not nervous and like is is very at ease with the kind of subterfuge and uh subtlety with which Garrick communicates. I sort of got a frenemies vibe from them too. Right. You know, in that they they take the piss out of each other <laughs> back and forth, but they but they go a little harder than friends only. Right. Like there feels like there's a little bit of animus there that that fuels some of that stuff. Yeah, it's like uh it's like tennis like they're rallying at the tennis court, you know. It's like it's they're not keeping track of the points, but they are keeping track of the points a little bit. I really like Garrick and I'm glad he's back. Yeah. Garrick is fun. So they spot this uh like group of people coming out of an airlock and it's a uh, a big fat guy with um, like light switches all over his jacket and Nilla wafers on his head. Is he a great big fat guy with light switches all over his jacket? Has <laughs> <laughs> he ever head that's covered in Nilla wafers? <laughs> Would you help me move my couch? <laughs> <laughs> Would you eat my head cookies? I'd eat my head cookies so fucking much. He, it's like he's got sardine cans all over him. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the two people he's with is a, like a Bajoran dad and a Cardassian boy, but the Cardassian boy is wearing a Bajor getup. I think he might even be wearing the, the like knitted coat thing that Kira was wearing when she was having her monastery hang. Oh. I'm guessing that that's the same piece of wardrobe. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time we've seen a Cardassian youth. Yeah, I think you might be right. Was there a Cardassian baby at some point? Maybe. Well, anyways, um, 
they all go sit down in the uh, in the same cafe that Bashir and Garrick are sitting in, and Garrick is quite fascinated by uh, the fact that there's a Cardassian boy, and uh, goes up and uh, <laughs> really creepily compliments the dad on his fine young boy. What a handsome young man you have here. And uh, puts his hand on the kid's shoulder, and the kid... Uh, very reasonably defends himself from this creepy man who's touching him by biting Garrick on the hand. Yeah, I gotta say, Ben, I was on Team Cardassian Kid right away. <laughs> I I mean, like, I cannot imagine as a parent just being in public with my child and somebody coming up and putting their hand on that child's shoulder and saying, what a fine young boy. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah, it's fucked up. How do you read this? Is this is this the writers like not knowing what a an appropriate way of interacting is, or is this like alien? Like, is would this be appropriate on Cardassia, but it's not appropriate on Bajor? By the end of the episode, I think this would become more clear. But after having seen the episode and coming back to the beginning. I think that Garrick is playing his story 40 moves ahead. And part of me thinks he wants this to happen. Wow. So he's... Like, uh, he's... like what does he think is... What do you think is going to happen when you, like, punch a pit bull in the mouth? Like, <laughs> like he, know, he knows culturally who this kid is. We find that out later. Right. What does he think is going to happen when, as a Cardassian, he, he rolls up to him in the replimat? And puts a hand on his shoulder. I think, I think he's hoping for this. Yeah, that's a. I, I like that read. Yeah, they, I mean, the idea of a character who can like spot a kid like this and throw this amount of intrigue into motion by just being a little bit creepy is uh, is is fun because this sets off like an international incident. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. God, yeah. this fucking gin and coconut milk shit is so ass. I have I have let mine be and it's already turned into salad dressing like it is <laughs> it is reverted back into its component parts. Ugh. Not good, Ben. No. I'm also like I'm clean plate club on food, but yeah. I'll leave a quarter of a beer behind. I'll leave a cocktail behind if if I don't like it or if it's not good, I I don't have the same compulsion as you uh, with the drinks. I got to finish it because it's so expensive. Yeah. I don't know why. Real aversion to waste. I want to like Garrick, and I don't like that he keeps doing creepy shit. Yeah, let's get some, let's get some fun Garrick that isn't involved in being a total creeper. Well, by saying that, I'm saying like you can have an inciting incident without him being a creep show about it. Yeah. Yeah. Was there a way he could have played this that would have set everything off in a way where uh, it wasn't a a gross, you know, breaking the touch bubble and being too familiar with a, a stranger's child situation? Well, I mean, there are all sorts of social interactions that can go bad in a public place. I mean, if they're in a place that serves food, I could imagine that they could get in line at the replomat and and have words with each other or or like Rugal could regard 
Garrick's order in a condescending way, and then that could start an argument. Right. Like it feels like something argumentative could have the same amount of weight as boy bites man. Like we come to know that Rugal really hates Cardassians, but um, I guess Garrick can't possibly know that yet, right? Or does he? Hmm. Like I keep going back to the idea of like. There's the the public Garrick, and then there's the the private Garrick that seems to know so much more than than meets the eye. Yeah, he's like a Cardassian that can turn himself into a tape recorder. <laughs> <laughs> Who is that? Soundwave? That's Soundwave. Right? <laughs> yeah. After the uh, opening credits, there's a thing, there's a moment that I love, Ben, and I don't know if you notice these the way I do, but like when an actor's credit lines up with their appearance on screen in a uh-huh. fun way, like that seems totally happenstance. Right. Uh, Mark Alamo, like his credit shows up the moment before he appears on FaceTime with Cisco as Ducat. Cool. <laughs> Does that have a name? It feels like it happens... It doesn't happen a lot, but it happens enough that I notice it, and and it feels like it should have a name. Bingo? <laughs> yeah. I like it. Yeah. So Bashir, like, runs up onto it, into the ops section and is like, guys, get a load of this. The tailor just got bit by a kid. Another unsatisfied customer. He always cuts the pants too long. <laughs> he was being a total creep. And Cisco's like, you're the doctor. What, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> you were with him. Yeah, and like like Odo's already out the door, and that's basically the last we see of Odo. Right. He goes audio only the rest of the app. And another, I guess, cash-saving move? Yeah, I don't know. Like, Kira, Kira and Dax are also basically not in the episode. Like, they, right. they have like two or three lines each. That That's a single day for both of them. It seems like Kira would have a lot of feelings about this, right? I found myself really missing her part of the story. That said, it's a pretty dense episode, so it might have had to be a two-parter if they'd given Kira a really big storyline. Cisco is like has like literally just gotten this uh, this download from Bashir, and he walks into his office, and Gul Dukat is there on Facetime, uh, having gotten briefed on the exact same thing, like. Like, Gul Dukat seems to have known this before Cisco, even, maybe. It's as if the cameras that we've asked Odo to install have been installed by by Gul Dukat. <laughs> like, they already exist, they're just going to one place, and it's yeah. not Odo's office. Dukat's watching all these episodes. Yeah. Well, uh, what comes out of this is that there are dozens of Cardassian war orphans still on Bajor. Like, Cardassian kids that got left when when the occupation packed up and went home. Do you want to take that again? Saying the portmanteau that is right there. It's right there, Ben. They're warfins! (laughs) (laughs) Warfins! I mean, if anybody's a warfin, it's warf. Right. If anyone's a warfin, it's Alexander, who has a dad, but not really. <laughs> I've dabbled in wordplay, Adam, but uh, I'll leave mostly <laughs> that to you. It's the one thing I know how to do on this show. <laughs> uh, the noise that Ducat is making is that he like 
is personally really upset about this war orphan situation and is, is looking for ways to solve it. And as with everything Ducat related, you can't really be sure if what he's saying is what he means. Yeah, as- assumes that uh, there's an ulterior motive. It's as if he's a Romulan. It's always <laughs> three-dimensional chess with uh, Ducat. Mm-hmm. So the backstory with Rugal is that he's a war orphan. He went to an orphanage and then was adopted by Bajoran parents. And these parents, and his dad specifically, who we've met on the station, has sort of programmed him to hate Cardassians. Yeah, he's a... And so that was the reason that he bit Garrick in the Replimat, is that is that he fucking hates Cardassians and everything they stand for. Do you know how many Bajorans the Cardassians murdered during the occupation? Over 10 million. Right. He's going to Bajoran schools and hearing about the atrocities, and he's like, fuck these people. I am, I may be racially Cardassian, but I'm culturally Bajoran. Yeah. He strongly identifies as Bajoran, having, like, basically no connection to anyone from Cardassia. Like, Garrick might be the first Cardassian he's ever seen, you know, outside of the other Cardassian orphans. Right. And so they, because of Ducat's uh, FaceTime, they have to start this investigation. And, like, the first person they talk to is the dad. And the dad really defends his decision to raise Rugal the way he has been raising him. We told him the truth, Commander. The truth about what Cardassia did to Bajor. He seems like one of the more interesting characters caught up in this whole thing. And he unfortunately gets two scenes almost back to back and then he's gone. Right. But I wanted to know more about his deal because Yeah, does do they have like a really loving and affectionate relationship? Like that would have been interesting when to to yeah. know, you know. I can't decide whether or not he raised Rugal like at him as a form of I don't know revenge, right? Or if or if he's raising him out of love in a in the best way he knows how in a in a Bajoran tradition that just happens to hate Cardassians as a rule. Like his motivation could be more interesting, but we just don't know exactly what it is, and 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 that's never resolved. Right. Not only is it never resolved, but by the time the episode resolves, we never see the consequence for him. Yeah, like if he had been like really torn up by the way it resolves, it would have been really interesting. Yeah. So the next person they talk to is the uh, is the guy with all the sardine cans on his jacket, and this dude has a kind of weird story. Like he he's like really good friends with the dad but also thinks the dad is abusive because of the way Rugal's been raised to hate Cardassians. It must be torture for that boy living like that. There's another plot hole here, too, which is like, I have no idea why these two are friends. Yeah. It, like, even a single sentence of dialogue would have helped. Right. Like, uh, Rugal's dad doesn't like to gamble, so he bankrolls... Uh, Zolan, so he can win at Dabo. Like, anything here would be useful to tie them together, but there's... Or, like, they're neighbors. Tell me they're neighbors, even. Right. But they don't even say that. Yeah. Did you in- interpret those Nilla wafers on top of this guy's head as part of his head, or as, like, some kind of yarmulke 
or something. Yeah. Because it's like he's got like a ring of hair, but then there's like, it looks like, you know, when you slide open a package of Nilla wafers. And I wonder like if that's his brain. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's so good at Dapo. He can see all the angles. Yeah. <laughs> Brain's huge. Here's a reason why we bring up the the character of Zolan like we do is that he's basically the only witness to their relationship. And he, as much as, as a Rugal biting Garrick is kind of another inciting incident. Right. He's the, he's the only one who goes out and says, yeah, something's fucked up with, <laughs> with father and son over there. Maybe you should look into that. Yeah. But also I'm, I'm and, like helping the dad try and get a job. Like what's the, yeah. <laughs> it's complicated. And base based on one person's, uh, accusation, like it spins the entire story out from there. Bashir takes this knowledge to Cisco. Yeah, and now it's actionable. Yeah, and they separate Rugal from his adoptive Bajoran father. Go on, Rugal. We'll talk tomorrow. And uh, put him in probably the worst household on the station that he could possibly be put in, the house of Miles Edward O'Brien, noted Cardassian racist. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. God, it really feels like I'm hating the episode, but this is another, like, why else do you do this except to choose the biggest conflict instead of choosing the truth of the character or the place? Yeah, this is a... Uh, a choice a writer would make, not a choice that like an actual station administrator would make. And I think it's really interesting that like Rugal is taken away from his dad, not because he assaulted someone in public. Nobody's accusing you of a crime, Rugal. You're not being arrested. But it's just the idea that his dad may be programming him. Yeah, I mean, it's got like the weird overtones of... of the like diplomatic needle that Cisco is trying to thread, you know, he's trying to keep right. the Cardassians happy and the Bajorans happy. And, uh, that is not, not necessarily easy given the scenario. And because you can't take a piss on deep space nine without gold Ducat seeing how your dick is, <laughs> they get Ducat back on the FaceTime to talk about why the hell there are these orphans on, on Bajor. And why? And uh, Dukat kind of demurs. He's like, "Look, I was, uh, I know I was, I was involved. I was part of the occupation, and it's, it's a real sad tragedy that we left these kids behind. I, I don't like it any more than you do, but I think there's something we can do to fix this." And Bashir kind of walks into ops <laughs> and interrupts Cisco on the Facetime. <laughs> I have a question, which creates a fun production thing. Like when you see. Ducat look to the left. Right. There's eyeline. Like, it's not FaceTime. It is yeah. like, it is some kind of 3D television yeah. situation. That's fun. Yeah. I mean, it's like, a, I mean, it is, I feel like it's the right thing in television, but it's also, it's got the same problem as the hologram FaceTime that they have on Discovery, where like, Characters yeah. like walking around and sitting on chairs as holograms. And it's like, so what? Are you in a room that is configured exactly the same as this room somewhere? Like, what is yeah. that? Right. And so uh, Bashir finding Tukat's answers uh, unsatisfactory tells Cisco that he's lying. And Cisco rightfully is like, how do you know that? <laughs> and Bashir, 
says that Garrick told him. And Garrick becomes the second witness to this whole thing. So, so far, the entire story hangs on Garrick's word and, uh, and Zolan's word. Right. Garrick and Zolan, the two most trustworthy characters the show has ever introduced. Right. Um, yeah, so Garrick's like, the pitch that Garrick has made to the doctor is that there's something fishy about the idea of Cardassian war orphans in the first place because Cardassians are so meticulous and detail-oriented. They're real, the Adam Pranicas of space. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Why is, that's not an insult. <laughs> ben, we need a little more trust but verify, I think. <laughs> right? So, yeah, like, the, Cisco is not psyched that Bashir broke in on the, uh, on the FaceTime there, but uh, I think he's intrigued by the yarn that Bashir is spinning. But once sure. he, he, he does want to, like, run some of this down and make like like verify it for themselves the reason kira isn't an ops is because if she were she'd be saying nothing but what the fuck (laughs) really (laughs) like she'd be a great viewer proxy right now yeah she's uh she's really uh stuck in the back she's she's really been stuck on the sidelines in this episode it sucks yeah and stuck on the sidelines so that we could have scenes like the next one which is Keiko uh, uh, has has been hanging out with Molly and Rugal all day, and O'Brien comes home to find out that his daughter has been playing with this Cardassian and has, like, a racism tantrum. Gentle was bred out of these Cardassians a long time ago. That Keiko very deftly uh, scolds him on. That was a very ugly thing you just said. And then she uh, she pulls... Some zabu meat stew out of the uh, out of the replicator, and uh, she is the only one that is down to try this. Here's one thing I want to ask you, in a delicate way, is because Keiko is the audience for O'Brien's Cardassian racism, right? And the actress who plays Keiko, Asian, does that help reinforce how fucked up O'Brien's racism is? Because he's saying something like that in front of her. I felt that way. I don't know. It's hard to know in the context of the 24th century, right? Because like the the stated reality, not necessarily the depicted reality, but the stated reality is that racism and sexism have been defeated at this point in human history. So the the idea, like, you know, like they on TNG always run into situations where they like are in the holodeck in the past or on some planet that has different social mores and they're like surprised and, and perplexed by sexism or racism. Yeah. So like, and, and those are Starfleet officers who are trained to be involved in, you know, alien species. Keiko's just a botanist. I mean, on the one side, what O'Brien said is super fucked up. Yeah. But on the other side, in a practical sense, like it's not fun to come home from work to that kind of surprise. And so that doesn't forgive O'Brien's racism. Yeah. But like it is a big fucking surprise when he comes home to dinner and he's <laughs> he sees someone that he's been at war against. Yeah. And I don't think it's cool that Keiko didn't at least prepare him for that. I'm not saying that 
I'm not saying that to forgive what O'Brien said, which is fucked up, and I'm not saying that to hate on Keiko, but like practically, <laughs> there's a there's a way that you can make that better. Yeah, and and like everything else between Keiko and O'Brien, they don't choose the softest path. Here's a question: Is the stew gross, or is O'Brien's racism and and Rugal's self loathing so strong that they don't like it? Because it's a Cardassian thing. Because Keiko seems to like it. I feel like Keiko's eating it at O'Brien. O'Brien also, like, is has, uh, you know, we know that O'Brien does not have a terribly adventurous palate. He's, I don't think we've ever gotten a scene where he's enjoyed Keiko's cooking or choice at the replicator. No, he only enjoys Irish food. Yeah, it looks like a real uh, cream of green mushroom soup yeah. that they're eating. And neither O'Brien or Rugal are willing to engage the Cardassian culture culinarily. Right. And they sort of, uh, they sort of cheers their bowls of stew <laughs> in, in pushing them away from, from themselves. Yeah. Uh, Rugal comes back like late at night, I think it is. And O'Brien is up burning the midnight oil, doing some computering. And Rugal is like, uh, you know, appropriately scared about the future. He's like a young kid who's been separated from his dad. And like, it seems like what's going to happen to him has been not only taken entirely out of his control, but also nobody is really talking to him about it. And so he's really worried. And O'Brien is not the guy that you necessarily want to be there to ask for some comfort in a situation like that, but Rugal doesn't have anybody else. And this is like maybe my favorite scene in the episode because it's sort of O'Brien like having to show some humanity to this kid and in so doing, like unraveling some of the bad stuff that he has inside of him. Kids talk to each other so much differently than kids talk to adults that I really missed Jake Sisko in this episode. Yeah. Because I think Rugal would have talked to him far more differently than he talks to someone who clearly hates him. Yeah. Like, this is not the time for an O'Brien breakthrough, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this is not going to happen here. It's not going to happen here, but it does kind of, like, lay some interesting groundwork, I think. I really like that O'Brien speaks to him practically about, like, Rugal's own agency yeah. and what and what Rugal may or may not feel with regard to that. Right. Like, O'Brien's actually a very good counselor in this moment. Totally. He's like, you don't just have to go with where the wind blows. You can actually choose a side here. And uh, and that's, like, exactly what this kid needed to hear. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pain. I was in a pain. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. So, uh, so the next scene, Bashir is sleeping in his bed and kind of tossing and turning and wakes up and Garrick is in his room. Did I ever tell you I I avoided being peed on in college by a roommate? No. <laughs> I was roommates in freshman year with someone uh who was a piss drunk. Oh, like a yeah, this- uh, like a guy who came came and thought things were bathrooms that weren't bathrooms. Yes, exactly. And so uh after after a particularly uh, crazy bender. Uh, we had we had retired back to the dorm room uh, to go to what I thought was a restful sleep. 
and a couple hours later like uh i don't know if you have one of these i sure do but like my proximity alarm went off <laughs> as a person like I, I i was in dead sleep yeah and i could feel that someone was near <laughs> and so i woke up to my roommate like standing over my bed <laughs> my roommate standing over my bed like uh, he had gone to sleep in his clothes, I think, just as I have, and was like undoing his buckle. Wow! And I was, and I was like, uh, "Name redacted. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing here?" Like I got out of bed and I flipped on the lights, and he was still asleep. He was sleepwalking Whoa. as as a as a piss drunk. And this is the thing, like, if you know any piss drunks, you know that this is this is what happens. <laughs> he was animated, but asleep. And right. so and so he did not respond to my questions and instead continued to do the thing that you do before you pee. Right. Prepare himself for for bathroom time. I took him by his shoulders, by the back of his shoulders, and turned him away from my bed and my stuff. I led and- him by his penis to... <laughs> I aimed him instead at his stuff, <laughs> which at the time... Oh, man, you're not a good friend. <laughs> ben, like, his dick was out. Like, there was, like, the the timer had run out. This was about to flow. So it was just about mitigating damage. I'm not going to take the fucking piss bullet for him. If he's going to piss in the dorm, he's going to piss on his own stuff. You could have just, like, clapped your hands in his face or something, though. I tried you, all of that. You, there was no... Think, wow. He was someone who was hypnotized in a way that, like, only the magician could could undo. Like, there was... He was that entranced. Wow. So I flipped him around, and and he pissed, <laughs> and, I, and I went down the hall, and I, like, woke up a couple of friends. I was like, uh, my friend and roommate, like, is in trouble. I was upset but i was not angry at him i just wanted to know like what to do right what do you do in this situation ben so i woke up a couple of friends and we like we put him back in his bed and we sort of like soaked up his piss in the room (laughs) and we just dealt with it in the morning it's like one of those fucked up college stories that uh man that like doesn't really have a tidy resolution like it was a thing that happened it it introduced me to the idea of a piss drunk in a way that really like it made me paranoid the rest of the term that we were roommates yeah oh god like we're gonna go to a party yeah is this that beer that puts him over the edge into peeing on me while i'm sleeping i was piss battered yeah the only uh there's a our our, uh our good buddy chris bowman uh, he's not a piss drunk, is he? He's not a piss drunk, but uh, the uh, the only time I've ever like flipped out at somebody for for being up in a room that I was sleeping in was uh, he and I were were bunked together the first year I went to Max FunCon, and I had never met him, and I was just told that I was going to have somebody else also sleeping in the room, but I went back to the room and like went to sleep before I had met him or like made any contact with him and he came in like three or four hours after i had already gone to sleep and 
Uh, I have no memory of this, but I apparently like got up on the bed in karate stance and like was like, "Who the fuck is that? Who are you? Who the fuck are you?" <laughs> and just scared the daylights out of this. Like Chris is like one of the sweetest people in the entire world. <laughs> and I was in like DefCon one, you know. I was like, I was like sending my birds out, and uh, yeah. Something he'll he'll never forget, and I will never remember. I had a fun roommate at Max FunCon who got so vomit drunk <laughs> off of the free booze that he he totally remodeled the bathroom. Like one of the great things about Max FunCon is that you have separate bathrooms and separate bedrooms, so that like even when you're bunking with someone, uh, you don't really have to cross paths if you don't want to. Right. Uh, but that person's odor crosses paths with yours, especially when they have vomited in the shower, in the bathroom, and around the toilet of their own bathroom. So the next morning, I roll downstairs, and I'm like, oh, Max Funcon roommate, what is going on? And he's like, oh, man, I have, mistakes have been made. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, those are the... That was a thing. That's when you coined. That's when you coined the term "nerd rumspringa," right? It was. Yeah, that's a form of Max von Gun roommate. I've got weird roommate luck, Ben. Yeah. Well, well, Garrick is in Bashir's room because he wants to go on a road trip. He's uh, he's picked the. He does dead not want night. to pee on him. No, <laughs> he's got other plans for Bashir, and. Um, so they go over to Cisco, to wake Cisco up so that Bashir can request the use of a runabout to go to Bajor. Well, by all means. Will one runabout be enough? And uh, it becomes clear in this scene that, you know, like amidst Bashir barging in on the FaceTime with Gul Dukat and this, Cisco is like kind of losing his patience for his chief medical officer. Yeah, it's not a uh, good look. Yeah, like like Cisco is getting pretty annoyed, but Bashir is saved by the bell because Ducat gets on the FaceTime again to let Cisco know that they've run Rugal's DNA. I, I keep wanting wanna I keep wanting to call him Rugal. <laughs> uh, yeah. We've run Rugal's DNA and uh have have uh connected him to a prominent Cardassian politician who is already on his way to the station. It introduces an interesting urgency, right? Like the timing of this suddenly snaps into focus. Right. Because and it's like, why would Garrick want Bashir to go on a runabout trip with him in the middle of the night? And then a moment later, Dukat's like, I'm coming over. <laughs> like one, one act proves the other in an interesting way. Right. And... Garrick has been riding for Ducato's up to something the entire time, and uh, it's starting to snap into focus. So they get their runabout, and they head to Bajor, and they go to an orphanage that has, like, even littler Cardassian kids, like like kids that are, like, much younger than Rugal. It's the inner light outdoor playset that they visit also. <laughs> Is it It's like really? they never took it down. Man, yeah, you're right. And they're like, hey, like, we'd love to 
take a look at your records if you've got any. And the lady's like, yeah, right. Our computer's broken and we don't have any money. We can't fix that shit. And Garrick is like, ha, 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 well. Oh, I dabble with isolinear data subprocessors. It's a hobby of mine. This is one of a couple of instances in the episode where Garrick just reveals himself to be great at things (laughs) in a really fun way. He's got a monocle. Well, the the joke is always like Garrick is like, don't don't act like I'm a spy. I'm no I'm no spy. But then every every time like a spy skill might be necessary for uh, to advance the plot, Garrick is willing to reveal that he has such a skill. Garrick yeah. is great because even at the very end of the episode, when he's asked fairly directly if he's a spy. He still has the the wherewithal to be like, I will never tell you that, but I will show you with every action. Like, what do you think watching me do what I do? He's not a, he's not like a pool hustler where he goes and pretends to suck for a long time just to lull you into a false sense of security, right? Right. He's never sandbagging. He's just not playing pool until it's time to play pool. Right. And then he's doing the masse everywhere. <laughs> Uh, so while they're they're there, there's like, you know, they're they're getting into the computer and uh, getting the data that they need, and there's like loafy little kids running around, and they're like, "Hey, are you here to take us back to Cardassia?" That's a sad scene, right? Like, there's a lot about this that isn't adding up. So, and so Ducat's arrival convinces Cisco that they're being played, and between Ducat and Rugal's dad, they're sort of asking Cisco to arbitrate the uh rugal's custody yeah like there's a really like the dad shows up and he is uh conveniently wearing a red tunic so that you can tell him apart from his the bajoran dad who's wearing a blue (laughs) tunic and uh you know he's he's there like really like going through some shit like he's he is a bereaved dad who thought that his son and wife were both killed in the same bombing attack Years and years ago, like, Rugal was four years old when this apparently happened, and uh, and the dad is torn up and, like, eager to reconnect with the son that, that he wasn't aware of. And one thing that comes out at the arbitration is that, like, reconnecting with the son is coming at the cost of this guy's political career, because... Right. Orphans are like some somehow taboo in Cardassian society. Or, I mean, the idea that that it can be spun that he left him behind is is a is a great shame. Like, whatever way you cut it, it's not a good look for the birth father here, and it function it it serves as a way for you to feel uh, empathy for him. Yeah. Like, like, are these the first two Cardassian characters that we've been uh, given to empathize with? Yeah, it feels that way. I mean, you get the commensurate scene between Rugal and his dad that just does not go well. Like, it's the shit show that you expect from a father and son who who don't know each other and and where especially the son just doesn't want to be with the father or doesn't see anything yeah. Uh, I tried your weird blue stew. I'm not into it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those conflicts where you can find equal empathy 
Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't like the idea of Rugal going to live with a stranger. That doesn't sound good. Right. But I also feel very bad for his biological dad, who, who says sincerely that he thought he died in a bombing. Right. With with their mother, with his mother. <sighs> it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty tricky deal, and the idea of a a, a non Cardassian non Majoran mediator is a good one. I was shocked that Cisco ruled in favor of birth dad. Were you? I was too. It was a weird, it was really like tacked on yeah. at the end in a way that didn't feel cathartic or like we understood why. And maybe, I mean, maybe they don't need to explain the why of everything. Like maybe that's not the point, but. This is a show that relishes the courtroom scene though. And yeah. and the appeal being made and the, the argument and the and the counter argument and the cross examination, but they use that all up to pull Ducat's pants down instead of deal with the storyline that we've been dealing with. Right. All Bashir has done this episode is like burst into rooms that Cisco's talking and interrupt him, <laughs> and that's what he does here. Like Cisco's about to drop the gavel, and Bashir's like, "Hey, check it out. Guess who are mortal enemies? Basically, it's Ducat and Rugal's dad, Padar." And this has been this has been a, a, a thing the whole time. Like Ducat set this up to make this dad look bad. Ducat's like planted Rugal like a seed years ago. It's not even clear it's it's actually kind of implied that this is not in fact the same Rugal that Padar lost. Like Really? Uh, yeah. I didn't I didn't get that. Oh, I totally got that. Like it's a this is an orphan. I mean, if it, if if Padar had been separated from his child and this child had been found and recovered, like it would have been, it would have, that child would have gone back to Padar at the time. But but instead, the DNA test, though, Ben. What about the, the DNA but, test? But we have to take Ducat's word for that. Ducat's yeah. the only one that had access to the DNA and is like the only people he we know he told about that as the Federation. The proof of this is super interesting. Like the long game that Ducat has played here is pretty incredible. Like yeah. this this orphanage is is full of Cardassian kids who were just gathered up on the street, you know, quite randomly. Rugal being the only orphan who was actually brought there by another Cardassian right. and who actually had a name mm-hmm. and all that. Like his his circumstance for being there is totally different and it feels like the con that it is. Yeah, Padar left Bajor because being in Bajor was too painful for him after the death of his wife and child. Went back to Cardassia and, as a politician, started to campaign for Cardassia to uh, end the occupation. And that meant Gul Dukat lost his job as the uh, head of an entire planet. We don't even see Cisco deliberate. Yeah, I think we find out about his decision just in a in a station log. I think what he did is he he took a note from that admiral who made the decision a couple episodes ago about uh, about abandoning the station, and he's like, "Well, if if I want to ever become admiral, I need to make decisions that fast." <laughs> and he sticks Rugal with his biological father. Maybe. Yeah. Do you think this is the right decision, Ben? I mean, I think the cool thing about it is that in a few years, Rugal will have, you know, some experience with Padar. 
He'll be living on Cardassia, and he can write a financial literacy book called Bajoran Dad, Cardassian Dad. It's going to be on the bestseller list for months. It's going to sell 40 million copies, Adam. O'Brien does that thing where he gets really nice to the house guest that's about to leave. (laughs) And it's like, hey, Rugal. You can come back and visit anytime, and I hope you do. Just let me know, like, give me a couple weeks' notice, you know? Yeah, I might be out on a mission at that point, but uh, but good luck, or whatever. And then the button is the bookend, Adam. Back to Garrick and Bashir, cutting it up over coffee and croissant. Just notice the details. They're scattered like crumbs all over this table we regularly share. Yeah, one of the great breakfasts. I used to be team big breakfast until I met you, and now I'm all about coffee and croissant. (laughs) Yeah, man. The French figured it out. Sure did. The French can bring the breakfast and the dessert... I'll let the uh, I'll let the Spanish sort out dinner. It's coffee, croissant, and four cigarettes. Feeling ready for the rest of my day. I'll tell you what, Japan and Mexico, you can trade days for lunch. Did you like this episode, Ben? Uh, I really did. Yeah, it feels like uh, we poked a lot of holes in it as we talked it out, but it is still a super strong app. It's funny, like we like I'd say that. The much more often situation is we watch a bad episode and then have a ton of fun talking about it. Right. This, this was maybe like the the rare, really good episode that we like wound up finding more problems with in talking about it. Yeah, but I think that was a fun exercise. Like, you know, much like the conceit of the entire show, criticizing a thing doesn't mean we dislike the thing. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to play like, uh, like fantasy showrunner about right. <laughs> about stories like this, you know? Yeah, the uh, the number of negative reviews we have on Apple Podcasts by people that don't understand that that is possible is uh, still amazing. <laughs> so much is amazing about what we're doing here, Ben. Uh, one of the most amazing things we do is read Priority One messages. You want to See if we have any of those. I would love to. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Anna. It is for Kevin, and the message goes like this. One year ago, I gathered a message from everyone you know to wish you a happy birthday. (laughs) Well, we've made it a year later, and now I'm shelling out all by myself. Oh, no. (laughs) It's been a great year of pod, games, silliness, and joy. You're still the best boyfriend, and I am the luckiest gal. Happy birthday to the GM of my heart, my very own Uxbridge. Love, Anna. I'm just hoping that everybody that Kevin knows hasn't been uh, done away with like so many Hoosnock. Yeah, Anna did away with all friends everywhere. <laughs> I don't think that's the case at all. That's great. That you know what this is a this is a repeat P one is what Anna's saying. She mm-hmm. she shared the load before. Now, 
Now it's her burden alone this time. And you're a, you're a lucky dude, Kevin. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Kevin. Adam, our next Priority One message is from Justin, and it's for Lucas. And uh, it goes like this. Happy number two birthday to Lucas. We have a lot in common. We both ralphed on your dad in 12 years. You can play this for your friends to become the coolest kid in school. And coolest is spelled K-E-W-L-E-S-T. Oh, yeah. Maybe as cool, uh, same spelling, as your parents, Brian and Cindy. They are both persons of special conscience. Advice. Don't buy a glass table and check out Static for dirt on your pop. Go, Pack, go! Hey, that got my attention. I'm reading the preferred time slot, and this is about a month late for the preferred time slot, but it sounds like this is a P1 for a two-year-old, so Mm. (laughs) I don't know if being late is necessarily a problem. Well, being late is how they got into this mess. (laughs) So So I guess it's related in that way. Uh, If you have a message that you would like to send anyone else for any occasion... Or a message of the commercial nature in which you want to tell our greater viewership about a about a product or a business that you want them to know about. You can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. We have such a great big audience, Ben, that... Uh, that's it's a great thing for you and it's a great thing for us and that it's a it's a positive way to help the ongoing production of our show yeah um thank you for all of that support hey adam what's that ben did you find yourself a drunk shimoda drunk shimoda it's hard in a garrick episode to choose against garrick Seriously. Uh, and so I'm I'm not going to. I'm going to choose Garrick, but because he's so he's so obvious, I'm going to choose a specific part of the Garrick story. <laughs> when they go, when they go to the orphanage, yeah. And Garrick goes buck wild on the computer, but then he has that interaction with the lady who runs the orphanage. Uh-huh. There is an attitude about him. Like he he is so 10 out of 10 on the read. Yeah. That is uh, that is just a delight for me. I was in the underground. Really? Perhaps we have met. Like in any other circumstance, it would read as totally condescending. Right. But for Garrick, it just seems like dramatic and something that would be said with like a massive hand gesture. Like his hand gesture is his face. <laughs> he's He's just great. Yeah. And so my Shimoda is Garrick, but it's for that that scene entirely uh, at the orphanage. He's just fantastic. Yeah. What about you, a fun Ben? Scene. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it'll come as any surprise that my Shimoda is also Garrick. And the scene I want to give special citation to is the one where he wakes Bashir up by just <laughs> being in his room. <laughs> like, you got to get some locks on those doors, right? <laughs> I don't believe that locks would be a hindrance to Garrick. Like, Garrick here's the is... thing: like, isn't that a great backstory though? Like, tell us that there are locks on all the senior staff's doors, and then show us that Garrick has broken in. I want to know that. I bet. I bet Garrick's honey stick collection really puts Quirks to shame. 
we're probably meant to assume that, right? Like, obviously there are locks on the doors, and obviously Garrick has defeated that. Yeah, but uh, just, like, just being, like, the decision-making process of I'm just going to be looming over Bashir's bed, <laughs> it's like, like, I know you've got game, dude, but you could have just called him. <laughs> like, really gave me piss-drunk flashbacks, Ben. <laughs> We had a friend in college who mistook his own closet for the bathroom uh, one time, which was. Uh, oh, and you didn't steer him away from his own closet. We didn't. We what didn't a terrible know. person you are. We fa- we found out the next morning when he f- found one of his sneakers was full of pee. <laughs> you know, the more I tell this story, the more I hear from people about the piss drunks in their life. Yeah, and I've heard stories about people like pissing in utensil drawers in the kitchen yeah pissing in uh in cat boxes right pissing in all sorts of things it's bad i it like it sounds it sounds like i'm making fun of it and in the moment i was but this is an affliction i'm really glad i don't have yeah for sure i love the idea that when i get too drunk i just fall asleep yeah and I'm like, there's something also just nice about being having enough experience with having a drunk on that you don't get yourself into trouble. I think most of my life is built around a scaffold, if not wanting to be a burden on other people. (laughs) And so I'm really glad that like my drunk is basically self-contained and uh, not something for someone else to clean up. Right. I'm not anybody else's problem. Right. Yeah, there's a, a a pal in our circle in college who threw a New Year's party. I was not at this party, but uh, word got around that at some point at this dude's New Year's party, like people had, it was, you know, New York in January, so mm-hmm. people had gone over to his apartment and uh, everybody had put their winter coats on the bed and somebody had gone into the bedroom and just barfed on the bed. Oh. So there was barf on like 25 people's winter coats. Oh no. <laughs> it's like and the bed. It's like it's like the most heinous thing that you could ever do. And uh and like and nobody knows who the culprit is, you know? It's just like one of those like somebody is the world's worst drunk and you know, deserves to be fully excommunicated. But And well, yet they walk the streets. They walk unpunished. the streets in anonymity, unpunished for their dastardly crime. Oh my god, Ben. I would not have rested until I found that person. Yeah. Thankfully I was not at that party and uh I'm gonna go on, on a limb and say I don't know that I am friends with anybody that was at that party anymore. Not knowing like who all was there. But. I'm really a petty asshole, and that, <laughs> and like I probably wouldn't be friends with a person if they had done that. No, that's the worst. Like I would end the friendship over that. Control your drunk. This is the thing that I that me and my wife talk about all the time. Is like control your party is yeah. a, is a refrain that we have. Like we are each other's lifeguards in life, in love, and everything else. But like you have a you have a responsibility. Control your party. Right. Gotta get that. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? 
I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? Oh, God, I got to find out, don't I? Sure do. 
The next episode is season two, episode six, Malora. After failing in love with a woman whose species is unable to walk in, quote, normal gravity, Bashir develops a technology that could free her of her wheelchair forever. I'm kind of thinking that should be falling in love. And it's like a typo. Let's yeah. see what Netflix has. What do you say? Let's see it. Let's see if they do this better. Netflix's capsule is the crew welcomes Ensign Malora Pazlar, a cartographer, on a mission to chart the Gamma Quadrant. Wow. <laughs> oh, gotta watch. <laughs> I think we've talked a lot before about how non-ADA compliant DS9 is. Yeah. This is the uh this is the writers writing at the set design department. <laughs> and the set design department uh creating the set at the writers. Right. Yeah. There's a wow. big uh there's a big rift. A lot of a lot of uh a lot of en- enmity between the two the two people. Hmm. Uh it seems like for a time uh, Bashir's love life was a was an A to B story, and we left that behind fairly early in season one. And now now it seems like we're returning to it. So hopefully he's not as much of a creep show as he's been. Bashir seems to be substantially a different character this season. I feel like in the off season they really like, you know, sometimes uh, you, you you go to camp as a as a team of creatives and you and you like break your season out i wonder if that's what they did like went to summer camp wrote the season righted some wrongs made bashir a less creepy person yeah he sure seems less creepy in s2 yeah i wonder if alexander siddig wrote them like a a letter and said like hey listen love working (laughs) on the show wondering if my character could be less gross you remember that whole thing about Biff Yeager and how he got, like, mail sent to him about how much they wanted him to remain on the show? I yeah. made so no such solicitation. Yeah. Instead, I'm getting inundated by mail telling me, telling me what a creep I am. Yeah. I'd like that to stop. Listen, guys, I'm an actor on Star Trek, and I think one thing we all know is that unless you're Patrick Stewart... That pretty much will be the last thing you're known for, <laughs> which is fine. You know, I'll get paid $20,000 to go to a convention four or five times a year for the rest of my life, and I'll get residuals from this. All of that is great. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying I don't want to be synonymous with creepazoid. Well put. Ben, do you want to see if we're going to do the next episode in any particular way? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. We're on square number 10. Yeah, we are right there on square number 10, Adam. Uh, Should I roll these dice? Only if I blow on them first. And we've generated a four, Adam. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Square number 14 is a blank square, which means we are back to uh, normal running for this show. I think that's a good thing. Well, Adam, I'm, I'm sucking at the last of my Coco Nonos here. Um, but uh, we've got uh, we've got an exciting week coming up, do we not? I believe the next episode is the uh, the first of our Max Fun Drive episodes. Oh, really? That's great. Uh, Max Fun Drive is one of my favorite times of year. It's when uh, basically we 
harness the resources of our viewers to ensure the survival of our show into the future. Max Fun Drive is the time of year where we uh, basically raise all of the, uh, you know, all of the listener support that keeps this thing going. Like, it's easy to become a cynic about the things that you consume and, and just think that, you know, if I just coast, this, this thing's going to keep surviving without me and it's okay. But I'm here to tell you that, like, all of our support for the show is meaningful and all of the support for the show matters. Especially a, a little show like ours, you know? We're not yeah. we're not even close to being the biggest podcast in the world. and uh, We're not even really... close to being the biggest podcast on maximum fun or on the day of the week that we come out like this is not and it's not an ambition that we have what we want to be is self-supporting enough to make the show that we make week in and week out and also do extra fun things for our listeners we want to be able to go out on tour we want to be able to create extra shows as rewards for our supporters like there's so many more things that we want to be able to do and we really can't do that without the support of our viewers. So this is a, a really important time for the show and all the shows that Ben and I do going forward. Yeah, so that'll be starting next week, and uh, it's the best time of year to become a new supporter because there's lots of cool prizes and uh, incentives to doing so. So uh, keep your eyes peeled and uh, your wallets primed. Thanks to Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea for all that great interstitial music. I want to shout out especially uh, all of the people who have assembled our social media groups on Facebook, Reddit, and Twitter. Let's thank all the people that uh, contributed to our Wikipedia article, which is like the coolest thing, and the legions of people who must have contributed to our Wikia page. The Greatest Gen Wikia, which has just a total wealth of information about the backstories of jokes and keeping track mm-hmm. of drunk Shimodos. It seems like they've kind of teamed up with Colin Dinsmore, who is <laughs> who was always like making who's always making the drunk Shimoda leaderboard. Yeah. Uh, so there there's like a uh, a great collaboration taking place there. I want to thank Bill Tilly for continuing to make great and funny uh, fake Star Trek cards based yeah. on the jokes that we tell on the show. I feel like it's been a while since we've shouted him out, and he's one of the great, great friends of our show, and, and we love him a lot. Bill Tilly, 1973 on Twitter. Right. I want to thank Ann Kilzer for giving us uh, the vessel from which we are enjoying <laughs> our, our boat drinks. Yeah. Thank you, Ann Kilzer. Um, and uh, I want to thank all of our all of the friends of DeSoto out there who uh, who keep this party going. So uh, much love to all listeners everywhere. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, and an episode of the Greatest Generation: Deep Space Nine that has forgotten the plot to the next episode. <laughs> We're too drunk. You can't you can't remember a plot for that long. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.